Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So, we were just talking about the price of gasoline and the decision made by OPEC to cut back its um, production by 2 million barrels a day and what it means to this country. And we spoke with uh, Premier-elect, uh, Premier-designate Smith about the situation with energy in this country and what may occur as far as any differences may be concerned between Alberta and the federal government going forward. So I had this idea, though, a couple of days ago, and I mentioned this to you a few minutes ago. I was thinking about some of the energy projects that we've had in this country. There were multi, multi-billion dollar projects, massive projects, which would have cost a tremendous amount to build, but the money was there. And uh, they would have brought a tremendous amount of money into this country as the product was sold, the product being oil and natural gas. And I thought about projects like uh, the Frontier Mine, Texas Frontier Mine. There was Northern Gateway. Remember that? How about Energy East, where the uh, premier of Quebec said, that this thing's not going through my province. And there wasn't really any, wasn't any support from Mr. Trudeau and his government, who talked about phasing out the Alberta oil sands early in his tenure, and then apologized for saying that. But we know what the objective is. So there wasn't anything done to, to rescue um, these, these projects. Pacific Northwest LNG Pipeline, British Columbia's Export Terminal, and the Prince Rupert LNG Project. There's, I, you know, it's hard for me sometimes to even remember what the details were of these situations. And, and then there's the question about whether in today's, Canada, in, in today's Canada and in our regulatory environment, whether it's possible to satisfy the process, the regulatory process, to build an oil or natural gas project from the start, and how many years will securing permits take, and how much opposition will there be? Will investment money come into this country under those circumstances? I don't think so. So I thought about, who can I talk to about this? And the first name was the, uh, was the person uh, who's on the air with me now, Professor Ken Coates, Canada Research Chair in Regional Innovation at the Johnson Shoyama Public School of Public Policy at the University of Saskatchewan. Not only is the professor uh, highly versed in the issue of regional innovation, but he's also well-versed, extremely so, in Aboriginal rights, northern development, science, technology, and in society. Now, his books include Arctic Front, Defending Canada in the Far North, and What to Consider if You're Considering University. Ken, thank you so much uh, for, for coming on the program. Let's let's talk about these, uh, these projects and, and what happened. Which one perhaps typifies most to you what the problem is or identify the problem for us as, as you see it and how much money uh, was available to us and how much money have we lost? So that's a complicated set of questions. Uh, probably the one that typifies the problem the most is the, uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline. This is a really relatively straightforward pipeline. We were actually twinning an existing pipeline. We knew the route, we knew the technology, we knew the river crossings, all that sort of thing. And and this has been under the work under underway for for more than a decade. Um, the regulatory burden on this one is absolutely through the roof. Um, the empowerment of, of protesters and people who oppose the pipeline is unbelievable. Um, the federal government keeps changing the rules to to give more authority to people who don't like the pipelines and, and who basically are never going to stop fighting against them. They're going to continue arguing until the day the, the energy starts to flow. <coughs> that This particular project has gone massively over budget. 
And the critics look back and say, oh, it's not economic. It's not economic because of all the barriers and resistance and problems that were put in place. In fact, and people still believe it is economic. So this is sort of asking people who don't build pipelines and uh, whether something's going to be economically valuable or not is not a good thing to do. But let's be clear about this. We have lost probably $100 billion in investment, both in the oil sands and in, in natural gas fields, plus the pipelines, plus the infrastructure, plus the processing facilities. Um, we're lucky to get a couple of them through. The the LNG pipeline being built in Kitimat is getting fairly close to, to development. Um, this is the coastal gas link natural gas pipeline. It's doing rel relatively well with some fairly major resistance in, in, in addition. Um, but these are small potatoes. We, we, we could have, and if you go back to the Harper government days, uh, they, they were sort of perhaps too, un, too uncontrollably enthusiastic about the oil and gas sector. Uh, Prime Minister Harper kept talking about Canada as an energy superpower, kept talking about all the great things that Canada could and should and must do. Um, then you get a government that's completely different. Uh, they just basically are putting it, you know, they say they're going to let these pipelines go ahead, but they do so most, most reluctantly. Uh, they really don't really support the idea of these things moving moving ahead expeditiously. Um, and Canada is very much the poorer for it. And we would be having much more money available to us as a country, uh, more revenue, more more jobs, more economic investment. But the investment is largely gone, and it's going to be very, very hard to get it back. We weren't prepared, were we, for, or we maybe weren't, or the government wasn't willing to um, accept that the situation could dramatically change, as it has. We're looking at, a, at Europe, and Professor Terry Bro, the former head of energy security for France, has told us on several occasions on this program, he's painted a very worrisome picture of what Europe will face this winter as Russian gas is cut off. He's talked about up to two hours a day of uh, blackouts in Europe. And uh, we know that the, the cost has gone up dramatically in Europe for, for energy. One of our guests told us eightfold in Germany over the last year. We have European governments ordering thermostats to be kept at 19 degrees Celsius, not, not raised above that. It's the kind of life that, that we didn't anticipate, but we should have... Isn't it, isn't it natural for a government to anticipate the, the possible? In other words, renewables were not so reliable that they could step up and, uh, and, and replace natural resource, the uh, oil and, and gas. We, sh we could have and should have seen this, something like this coming, no? Oh, I, I think not only should we, we did. And I don't mean me myself uh, individually. The oil and gas sector understood this. The energy sector, even the people behind the climate change technology, said it's going to be you know 2050 before we can really reduce our consumption of, of oil, oil and natural gas to to much lower levels. You know, we we knew all this. Um, there were lots of people warning about the potential vulnerabilities of depending on Russian russian supplies so so that is a, a sort of a knowable and an easily anticipated sort of problem um so now that's that's really come back to bite us in the backside we're really paying not a price just in 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 europe for that but also in the broader developing and develop, developing worlds where they're looking for energy fuel fertilizers wheat and things yeah, of that sort that's so right. we've got crisis upon crisis upon crisis in front of us if this is a cold winter which it it has the potential to be in Europe. Uh, we will hear people screaming from the rooftops about the problems that are there. And the interesting thing here is 
if Canada had linked itself up to a, a global energy supply system, we would have taken steps a long time ago. The world is, is, going, to, is going to consume a certain amount of energy regardless of where it comes from. Um, I would much prefer to have Canadian energy, which is produced under the most stringent environmental regulations in the world, than actually bringing stuff in from, from uh, uh, Saudi Arabia or from Venezuela or from Nigeria. These are countries that have less than stellar reputations in terms of human rights and environmental protection. You know, Canada should look after itself and should have charted its, its own economic, its own energy future in league with its major allies, not just in Europe, but also in Asia. Southeast Asia, we, we could have we could have been pragmatic about this. If you even go back a few years, we had five or six different LNG projects, sort of at different stages of development and possibilities, um, all across um, all across British Columbia. You know, and and they've almost all fallen by the wayside, except the one in in Kinemat with the Heisler First Nation that's actually going ahead. So you know, the frustration is intense. The frustration, incidentally, in the indigenous community is intense. Um, the government of Canada's major failing in this regard is if a, even if a fairly small number of indigenous people protest a pipeline, they will actually throw their weight and spend a lot of time listening to them. If a much larger group of people representing much larger and diverse set of communities throw their support behind a pipeline, the government doesn't listen at all. Um, and in fact, resist their, their requests and demands to get things going. So the, the word is out there. We've known this was coming for a, quite quite some time. Uh, we're starting to pay a price for it in Canada. Our energy energy costs are, are quite through the roof. They're over $2 a, 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 a liter here in, in, in British Columbia right now. And they're on, was a dollar eighty nine or something like that in Saskatchewan. You know, the prices are crazy. And we don't have to have prices of that high. That high. We could have done a much, much better job. Um, and the frustration is really boiling over in many, many parts of this country. Yeah, and rightly so. Ten years ago, we were going to be the country that was going to be supplying energy to the world as it needed. Energy as in oil and natural gas. And as you point out, the uh, I think it's the International Energy Agency pointed out, they said until 2050 or 2060, we're going to be consuming a really significant amount of oil and natural gas on a daily basis. And even after that, it's not going to be inconsiderate. So um, we have uh, we, we had an opportunity. We were going to be the supplier. And as you said, we've lost something like $100 billion in investment. And now we find ourselves on the back foot. So let me take a quick break here, Ken. And then when we come back, I'll ask... I'll ask you if there's some way for Canada to get back into the game or, or if you think there's the appetite for Canada to get back into the game. We recently had Olaf Scholz here, the, uh, the uh, head of Germany, and he wasn't here to talk about uh, anything other than natural gas. That's what they wanted. They wanted to talk about hydrogen. They wanted to talk about natural gas. So, Ken, where we are today, we have a world that requires what we have. But we just don't have the ability to get it to them in the quantities that they require. Is there a way out of this, uh, given what we know about the regulatory process and how difficult it is to get anything passed in this country? And is there – do we have the – do we have – can we persuade investors to put money into this country to, to create an energy supply that we can export? So, great questions. Um, here's an irony, and it's a huge irony. If we find a path forward, it will be because First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people are part of the process and, in fact, are active supporters of it. 
So there is a proposal around right now for a natural gas pipeline that will go to Prince Rupert, British Columbia. It's being brought forward uh, with international partners who are basically guaranteeing to buy the product, um, but brought forward by First Nations, particularly from the Prince Rupert area. And isn't that ironic that, in fact, you know, that the, you look at the history of our mistreatment of indigenous people, that we now sort of realize that a big part of our energy future is, uh, is rests out there in, in, the, in the control of indigenous folks. So that's number one. Number two is we have a, a protest community here. It's uh, largely based in Canada, but, but not entirely. A lot of support from different parts of the world, um, and particularly the United States. Um, those protesters aren't going away. They're, in fact, getting, they've been emboldened over the last 10 years. They're getting more aggressive, more assertive, more demanding. Um, and they're not going to disappear just because somebody else approves a pipeline. They're going to find a thousand ways uh, to fight against it. And they'll keep fighting and fighting as long as they possibly can. So those are the, the two major issues. Um, third, the current government has very little credibility on energy energy matters. Um, and, and so as long as they're in power, not very many companies are going to spend a lot of money in the Canadian energy sector. They'll keep the existing plants going and they'll modernize facilities. But in the last couple of years, instead of saving money for future development, they've been actually paying out very, very substantial dividends to their stockholders uh, because they are making big profits and things are going very well. Um, but here's the biggest problem. The biggest problem is actually the international community. Um, is the international community willing to trust Canada? And the answer, I don't, I can't see this changing for five years plus, um, is that, in fact, no, they're not. Um, they're not going to be willing to change really quickly and sort of come back and say, oh, okay, you said you're sorry, and now you want to see this kind of investment. Um, the German uh, you know, uh, energy minister was over a short time ago, clearly wanted to talk about LNG, um, got some very muted conversation going about hydrogen power, which is a very long-term and very risky sort of possibility. Um, the world's not going to change very rapidly. And I don't think that the, the global investment community is really going to put a lot of confidence in Canada. They have confidence in Norway. Um, they're putting money into Australia. They're going to find opportunities in other places, including the Middle East, uh, including Venezuela, uh, probably other places in Africa. Um, and they're not so keen to come back to Canada. We have to win their trust back. Um, and I think Canadians need to understand that, that there's going to be a price. And, and there are a lot of Canadians who agree we should keep our energy in the ground, even though it will not reduce consumption dramatically. We'll still consume the same amount of energy. It'll just be done and produced under less favorable conditions than if we had it in Canada. Um, but, but in fact, there's going to be a price. And we've already seen the price in investment. We've seen the price in terms of business opportunities. We're going to see it showing up dramatically in areas such as um, uh, jobs and employment, particularly in in, uh, in Western Canada, which doesn't seem to trouble the rest of the country as much as it should. Um, and, but we're also going to see that start to filter through. We can't afford social programs. We won't be able to afford the, afford the upgrading of the, of the healthcare sector that we so desperately need and want. So frustrations abound, to say the least. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.